everyone. I pray that you had an amazing holiday season with friends and family. Ours was great. And I just want to thank you for jumping online today or for tuning in on TV to start your new year off by prioritizing your spiritual life. I just want to commend you for doing that. I believe God honors that sort of initiative. Listen, I'm not sure what your experience has been like with religion. For some of you, growing up, God felt like some angry vice principal at school who hands down punishment if you don't follow the rules. Or maybe he felt more like a distant and disinterested father who was never really around when you needed him. But, but the close, loving, intimate God that you hear about, like this hasn't been your experience. But what if that could change in 2024? Well, what if this was the year of, of drawing close with God, of walking with God, getting in touch with God's purposes and plans for your life? It is possible. So today I want to explore what's involved in getting close to God. I think it's the deep longing of all of our hearts. And here's what may surprise you. It's the deep longing of God's heart too. Have you ever had that experience of, of really wanting to take a relationship to the next level of closeness, but that other person wasn't really reciprocating your feelings? Like you meet the guy or the girl of your dreams, and you think this is the relationship that could really turn into something. You're ready to take it a little deeper, but they resist. They don't, they don't want to go there. They're polite and they're respectful, but they'd rather stay at arm's length. Or maybe you're a parent, and as your kids get older and more independent, like you'd love for there to be a close connection like there used to be. You don't want to settle for you know, a text message here and there. You're longing to connect. But no matter how hard you try, they're just not going to let you in. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you'd love to connect with your parents more. Maybe your parents are, are divorced and you grew up you know, with your mom and didn't really know your dad or vice versa. And you see all these other kids with awesome relationships with their parents. They look so comfortable together and they laugh and they enjoy each other. And you'd, you'd love to have that, a real authentic relationship with your parent. But anytime you're together, it's just stiff and awkward. You want it to be close, but, but they don't know how to. And everybody's civil and everybody's polite to each other, but, but also everybody, you know, it's a little distant. Here's a hard one. Maybe it's your marriage. Like things used to be close. You used to connect. You had tons in common. But over the years, that, that other partner has just kind of checked out. They're cordial, but they're removed. And it, it's so frustrating. And you try everything to go back to that intimacy, but they just won't go there. And, and now there's like an understanding. Like, I won't bother you if you don't bother me. You've become more like roommates. It's frustrating when there's nothing you can do to force somebody to be close to you. And so what does all this have to do with God and your relationship with him? Well, some of you feel that way about God. You're, you're thinking, I've tried the whole religion thing. That there was a time in my life when, when I leaned in and God didn't seem interested. Well, standing here today at the brink of 2024, I want to tell you it is possible. And so I want to talk today about four truths about getting close to God. Four truths about getting close to God. Here's the first one. God's desire is for you to be close to him. God's desire is for you to be close to him. So, so when God first created people, he didn't just create them and then leave. No, after he breathed life into Adam and Eve, we see them taking walks together in the garden day after day. His desire is for us to be close to him. Now, when we use the word close, it can be used as a spatial word. Like if I'm close to somebody, it can mean, you know, close in proximity. I'm two feet away and not 100 feet away. But, but of course, that's the kind of closeness we're talking about. It's not spatial, it's relational. We all know what it's like to be sitting right next to a person with whom we feel distant. And at the same time, we know what it's like to feel close to a person, you know, who's 4,000 miles away. God's desire is for you to be close to him 
relationally. In spite of that desire, a lot of you have fallen into a pattern of keeping him at arm's length. Things are respectful, they're polite, but you're just distant. I won't bother you, God, you don't bother me. But that's not God's heart. Here's the picture the Bible paints about God. He's a loving father who, despite all that, that his prodigal son has done to damage the relationship, he waits and waits and then finally pursues that child as soon as he sees him willing to come home. He's a loving shepherd, the Bible says, who cares for his sheep even after they've wandered off and gotten themselves in all kinds of trouble. The tendency to, to wander breaks his heart, but he goes after them and cares for them anyway because God is not looking for casual. God is not looking for distant. He's not looking for you to pop in for a holiday once or twice a year. He desires for you to walk closely by his side, not just every week, but every day. That distance you feel is not haphazard. The distance is a consequence of sin. It's the willful choice that we have to walk away from God. And so throughout the Bible, we see God trying again and again to bridge that gap, to overcome that distance that was created by man's sin. And one of the tools that God uses are these things called covenants. He makes a covenant with Adam and he makes a covenant with Abraham and with David. And these are just relational agreements, similar to kind of our version of wedding vows. They define kind of what each party agrees to in that relationship. Now, God is not motivated by rules. He's not after a bunch of rule followers. He's motivated by intimacy. He wants us to be close. And so in the Old Testament book of Jer Jeremiah, chapter 24, God outlines a covenant that, that will end all the other covenants. It's what's called the new covenant. It's the one that's available to you and me right now as we're living in it. And, and, and in it, you can see God's heart for closeness with his people. This is what it says in Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Do, do you hear the intimacy there? God's desire is to be close. He's giving us a new heart. Why? So that we'll know in the deepest part of us that he's our God and that we're his people. He's saying, it's fine for you to be respectful and, to, and I appreciate the politeness, says God. But when it comes to our relationship, God is not looking for casual. He's looking for close. Here's the second truth. It's that you can sabotage closeness with God by hiding. See, while God's desire is to be close, so many choose to keep their distance. And, and we hide in a variety of ways. But this posture of hiding, it also traces its way back to the very beginning of things. In fact, we should go back there to see God's original intentions and how it got all messed up. And so flip back in your Bible, if you will, to the very beginning, to the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. It says, God created Adam, and sometimes people picture this as if Adam lived in the garden while God lived far away in this distant place called heaven, but, but it wasn't that way. It says God was with Adam in the garden, and they did everything together. Whatever Adam did, he did with God. That, that is until sin entered in Genesis 3, and you see the great tragedy of sin. After the fall, God comes into the garden to, to walk with Adam, just like he had done every other day, only this time when God comes. Adam is not there. Look at Genesis 3.8. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. Adam says, I was afraid of you, and so I hid from you. 
What was once close has now become distant. God created you to be close, but some of you haven't experienced that because you're hiding. You're distant. Da- Dallas Willard writes about a little girl, two-and-a-half-year-old Marissa, who was enjoying watering the flowers in the backyard with, with her nana. And when she suddenly discovers mud by pouring water on a little patch of dirt, uh, Nana tells her not to put water on the dirt <laughs> because that makes mud and mud makes everything a mess. But do you think that stopped little Marissa from making mud? No, it did not. Marissa felt a deep calling to make mud in her life and, and she liked to put mud everywhere. And she put it in a little tub of water nearby and called it warm chocolate. And Nana, who had been reading in her chair, facing away from all this activity, soon discovered what was happening and, and, and had to clean up the mess. And when she returned to, to her reading, she decided to turn her chair so that she would be facing Marissa the whole time. The little girl soon resumed her warm chocolate manufacturing process, saying sweetly to her grandmother, don't look at me, Nana, don't look at me. Three times as she continued, she said, don't look at me, Nana, okay? And then Willard writes this, it's so profoundly true. He says, thus, the tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is to us that we be unobserved in our wrong, because most of the darkness in us depends on hiddenness to be able to survive. Of all the prayers that are ever spoken by the human race, this might be the most common one. Don't look at me, God. That was the prayer here in Genesis 3. God comes to be close. and From his hiding, Adam says, don't look at me, God. Some of you have been silently reciting that prayer for many years. Some of you are still reciting it right now. Don't look at me, God. I'm hiding. Turn your eyes. Turn your chair. And people hide in different ways. Sometimes we hide in our jobs. We throw ourselves deeply into a career so that we don't have to deal with what God might be calling us to. Sometimes we hide in our families. We get so busy with good things that we can justify holding God at arm's length. We hide in our leisure. Sometimes we become consumed with a hobby or spending all our spare time you know, consuming media or social media. And we build a box around our soul to try to keep God out. One of the most deceptive ways I think that people hide is in religion. It's when you make an actual relationship with God into a formula. You go to church, check. You read your Bible when you can, check. You pray before meals, check. And all these things are fine. But you've kind of just worked out a deal with God in your own mind, kind of a bargain. Maybe you grew up with your own formula. If you had a really bad weekend, you'd do some Hail Marys or some Our Fathers or whatever. You, you had a deal going on with God. You're respectful, but, but there's no intimacy. There's no closeness. And the very thing that God desires for you is out the window with religion because here's what happens inevitably with religious people. You go through the formula and eventually it's all about getting God to do things for you. It's all about arranging your life so that you can get God to keep you healthy and to get your kid into the right school. And you throw God a bone every once in a while to get what you want, but you never really want this thing to get too close with him. And so we hide from God, even in religion, a cheap substitute for the real thing. Some of you are in this category, like you believe in God. You may even call yourself a Christian, but your stance has been to hide, to maintain a safe distance from God. But here's the problem. You can't hide from God. When our son Caleb was a couple of years old, he thought he was so clever. Uh, We had a huge big plant in our living room with those oversized leaves. And he was convinced that that plant, if he went behind it, it gave him some sort of invisibility cloak. And so during our games of hide and seek, I'd close my eyes and count to 10, you know, and he would head for that plant. 
And, and so I would be looking around, he'd see me coming, but he's just giggling back there, just as sure as could be that I couldn't see him behind that dumb plant. Guys, that's what we look like when we try to hide from God. Like, like Caleb behind the plant, or the little girl making mud pies, pies with, with Nana. We can't hide. And so God desires to be close to us, but we sabotage that Im- intimacy by trying to hide from him, even though it's not possible. Here's the third incredible truth about getting close to God. God doesn't force you, he invites you. God doesn't force you, he invites you. Some years ago, Kim and I had the thrill of visiting the Sistine Chapel, seeing firsthand the Michelangelo painting on the ceiling called The Creation of Adam. It's a painting where we see God rushing forward on the wings of angels toward his new creation, and God is straining and and reaching with all his muscles in his arms taut and his finger flexed and tightened because he's stretching out so hard to reach his child. But but Adam is kind of reclined, if you look. He looks a little lazy. God is leaning in, but Adam is leaning back. God's finger is extended to touch, but Adam's is, is kind of limp. And God's entire being seems wrapped up in, in this, his impatient desire to close the gap between himself and this man that he created. And, and he can't wait. And his hand comes within an inch of Adam's hand. God is as close as he can be. But having come that close, he allows just a little space so that Adam can choose. And he waits for Adam to make his move. Adam's reclining pose suggests he may have no interest at all in making a connection. Maybe he assumes that God, having come this far, you know, he needs to close the gap himself. Maybe he's indifferent to the possibility of touching his creator. Maybe he lacks the strength. But, But all he would have to do is lift that finger. God doesn't force the connection. He invites it. And then he leaves room for us to choose. So we've been in Genesis here for a moment. I want you to go to the opposite extreme, over to the very last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 3. And I want you to see this incredible uh, passage in Revelation 3, starting in verse 15. You may be familiar with it. Jesus is talking here to seven different churches, and he's addressing them one by one. And in this passage, he's addressing the church at Laodicea. And Jesus says these words in in Revelation 3.15. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. He says, I am so out of sorts with with what you're doing that I'm ready to just be done with you. These are church people, remember. He says, I want you to be devoted. I want you to be useful. Hot, you know, you're lukewarm. Lukewarm water is not useful for much. Hot water is useful. Cold water is useful. Laodicea had this crazy uh, system of water, but lukewarm water, by the time it gets there, is not so useful. Now he goes on in verse 17. He says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. And so God is saying, you think that because everything is going well for you, that things are good between us, but things aren't as good as you think they are. He says, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now now look down in verse 20. If you grew up in church, you, you heard this one before. Verse 20 says, behold. This just means here I am, here I am. Look at me. Behold. Hey, you church people who are running around doing all your stuff. Hey, you people who call yourself Christians but have immersed yourself in work or family or entertainment. Behold, I'm over here. And listen to the imagery. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And you might ask, well, what's God knocking for? He's God. 
and he's knocking on the door of these people's hearts? Why, why doesn't he just barge in? He's full of power. He's full of glory and majesty. Isn't it a little beneath him to stand outside the door and knock and wait for someone to open it? And this passage led to a lot of paintings and a lot of churches of a very Caucasian Jesus with flowing hair. <laughs> but You've probably seen one before. But despite all that, this passage gives us a very important insight into the nature of the God of the Bible. The one who invites us to call him Father. The one who wants to walk side by side and hand in hand with us through this life. That same God says, even with all my power, even with all my might and with all my strength, and with all my magnificence, there is one thing that I will not do. I, I can make you fear me. I can make you obey me. But I, I will not force you to love me. It's what he desires the most, but he will not force upon us. He seems to leave that little gap <laughs> between his finger and ours. Leave that door between us for us to choose. He doesn't force closeness upon us. He stands and he knocks. He invites us to open the door. And listen, don't get the wrong impression. I'm not saying, you know, poor Jesus, look at him out there cold and starving. Aren't you going to let him in? No, no, no. Trust me. Jesus is going to be just fine without you or me. The, the point is that he's extending the invitation to us. He's saying, now it's your move. But here's the deal. If, if you don't choose intimacy with God, if you choose to continue with an outside-the-door kind of relationship with God, do you know what that person outside the door that, that you won't let in is called? It's called a stranger. If it's a friend out there, if it's a family member knocking out there, you let them in. The, the one you leave outside is a stranger. And when you become a stranger to Jesus, it means you'll also be a stranger to his ways. And when life doesn't turn out like you think it should, you're going to get mad and you're going to blame God. Because if there really is a God, then he shouldn't have done this or that. But he didn't. And God's going, what are you talking about? You didn't even know me. How, how do you know what I should have done? See, you become a stranger to his ways. You'll also become a stranger to his will. You'll, you'll make really bad decisions. And then when things don't work out for you relationally or financially, you're going to say, God, why aren't you taking care of me? And God says, but you don't know me. If you had known me, you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have said that. You wouldn't have signed that. But you don't even know me, and so don't blame me. Here's the worst one, though. Not only do we become a stranger to God's ways and a stranger to God's will, we become a stranger to God's love. And when we don't know God's love, here's how we view God. We think he just wants me to perform, that he's up there checking stuff off. The only reason that you would ever think that God is up there checking off either gold stars or demerits is if you're a stranger to God's love because that's not how love relationships work. God doesn't want you to be a stranger to his love. He wants you to be close. But if he doesn't force us to be close, how do we experience intimacy with God? Well, here's the fourth truth today. It's that you can be close to God by drawing near to him. So if you just flip back a few pages from Revelation to the book of, of James, back to toward the center of your Bible to James, you'll hit three Johns, you'll hit two Peters, and then you should be at James. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. Look at James 4, 8. It says very simply, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Man, that'd be a good one to memorize. 
just like that Sistine Chapel painting. God has done all the hard work. God has done the heavy lifting to be close to you, but he leaves that little space for you to draw near to him, to take some initiative back toward him. Drawing near to God involves making the decision to take a step toward him in faith. And that step of faith will begin to activate your relationship with God in new ways. See, like any relationship, a relationship with God involves simply taking the next right step of drawing near to him. I want you to hear a couple of passages about this. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He, Hebrews 7, 25 says, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, what does this mean to draw near to God? What does it mean? One of the common mistakes is to think that nearness to God can be produced by simply an accumulation of more information. And believe me, I'm a big fan of learning and acquiring theological knowledge. But I also know that it can't stop there. Because we all know the guy who knows the Bible better than anybody in the room who's also the biggest jerk in the room. So, so information isn't enough just by itself. Also, creating the, the right environment isn't enough. Creating the right mood for God to show up. Listening to the right podcast, attending the right retreat, lighting some candles and playing some worship music. That's all fine, but by itself it's not enough. So what does it look like to draw near? I think that drawing near to God is a combination of time and trust that these are the ingredients for closeness in any relationship. You need time together and you need trust. Time, unrushed, unscripted. Time where you get to know who he is and what he's like. What do we do with that time? Well, there's some ancient spiritual practices that have been tried and true for generations that'll help. Prayer, reading, the Bible, solitude, service to others. These things take time, but they also then build trust. And the question is not just, will you trust God? The question is, can God trust you? See, when there's intimacy, you have two people saying, I'm gonna trust you enough to lay aside my own best interest, my own agenda, my own advancement for you. It's a huge step of putting yourself out there. But when two people do that for each other, things get really close, really fast. And here's the deal, God already made the first move on that. He said, I'm gonna lay my own comfort, my own glory, my own advancement aside. I'm gonna come down in poverty. I'm gonna die a brutal death for you as, as the first move, the first move of surrender. I'm giving up all these things so that we can be close, but now it's your move. And so will you step toward me? Will you trust me? Will, will you come near to me? You know what I want for my kids? Like, I don't want them to use me. I don't want them to play me. I want them to take advantage of me as their private PayPal. I don't want them to come to me just when they want something from me. Do you know what, I, you know what lights me up? When one of them calls and says, hey dad, can I talk to you about something? Oh man, that's, that's the best. When they were little, you know, one of them would just run up and sit on my lap. They were not even saying anything. Or they'd come and say, hey dad, would you just lay down with me for a while so I can go to sleep? Or later, later in life, you know, hey dad, I'm going through this thing with one of my friends. Do you think, you know, what do you think I should do? Oh man, is there anything better than that? Why does that light us up so much as parents? Because it's not about what they can get. It's just about being close. Remember that text in Revelation 3? 
Well, here's how it ends. He says, behold, I, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, listen to this, and opens the door, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what comes next? I will make you feel stupid for making me stand out there in the cold for so long. No, I, I will take everything away from you that you love and enjoy and send you as a missionary to some place that you never heard of. That's what some of you are afraid of. That's not what he says here when you open the door. He says, if you open the door, he says, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What's he saying? He said, I'll be close. It won't be about all the rituals anymore. It won't be about earning brownie points anymore. It won't be about earning gold stars anymore. It'll be about me and you sharing a meal together. The promise here is what's called table fellowship. We'll eat together. And it's interesting that what Jesus was most often criticized for by the religious leaders of the time was who he was eating with. He would eat with the most notorious of sinners, which now makes sense of why he's being offering, offering to come and eat with you and me. It was scandalous because when you eat with someone, here's what you're doing. You're showing a willful association with them. You're showing a connection, a bond with them. Table fellowship was a cultural statement about who were your people. What tribe were you a part of? And Jesus is saying, I'm knocking and invite me into your life at a deeper level and we're gonna eat together. You're gonna be my people. And so he knocks and then he puts it in your court. And here's what I wanna remind you of today as a result, that it is possible to be close with God. You have the ability to prioritize God in your life, to think about him, to talk to him, to ask for his help, to tell him your plans, to pour out your heart to him, to describe your problems to him, to give thanks to him for all his blessings, to submit to his will, to live your life according to his purposes. And if I was gonna boil down the essence of the spiritual life into one single statement from scripture, this might be it. It says in Psalm 16, eight, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. I ask you, have you ever considered doing that? You, you can. Of course, you'll forget sometimes. You'll fail a ton. But have you ever made that decision, set that priority, that, that, said that's the way I want to live? I will set the Lord always before me. So, so I want to give you one specific challenge today, one specific next step, and that's this. To prioritize God in your life by creating one daily spiritual habit. Notice I'm not even prescribing what that habit may be. I'm going to talk more about one particular one next week. Maybe it's to find your chair every day and use the read plan over at whosegrace.com. Or one of our Grace Church Version Bible reading plans on the great Version app. Maybe it's a habit of reflective prayer before you go to bed each night. Maybe it's keeping a gratitude journal each morning where you thank God for the various blessings in your life. Maybe it's finding a mentor who will text you a quick encouragement every day or a ministry to serve in. Maybe you're listening to, to, to worship music or spiritual podcast on your commute to work each morning. All I know is that James Clear says in his powerful book, Atomic Habits, that you don't rise to the level of, level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. <laughs> so unless you have a system in place to, to nurture your positive daily habits, your life will begin to meander. And when you build in that positive practice, that spiritual daily habit, Every time you do it, it's, it's, it's a vote for the kind of person that you want to be. And it begins to position you to do the thing that we all want to do most in this life, to get close to God. It is possible. Set the Lord always before you. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Happy 2024. I love you guys.